Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. This is a podcast where each week I discuss practical, simple, and scientifically backed ways to help you and your loved ones take back control of your mental health and manage your mind, and also help others and ultimately live your happiest life. In this episode today, I sat down with Dr. Mark Mayfield, who is a licensed counselor, and we discussed the topic of EMDR, which is a form of trauma counseling and trauma therapy. We discussed what it is, how it works, who it's for. We also looked at how to help your team build stress resilience, how to talk to your teens, how to recognize things like signs of self-harm and suicidal ideation and substance abuse in your team, and what to do about it. Dr. Mark Mayfield is the founder and CEO of Mayfield Counseling Centers in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which serves over 15,000 appointments a year. He conducts therapy with families, couples, individuals, and groups, and has a passion to provide exceptional care for military service members and their families. He is a contributing author to focus on the family's marriage and parenting divisions, and has recently completed a book for parents on self-injury and suicide. It will be published within the next year. Dr. Mayfield is also an assistant professor of counseling at Colorado Christian University and hosts a weekly podcast called Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield. Just before we start, I want to thank everyone again who has left a review, subscribed to this podcast, and shared it on social media with friends and family. Not only does your feedback help me improve each episode, but I also love seeing what you guys are learning and what key takeaways you have. It's so encouraging and so exciting. One more note before we begin, this interview was done via Skype, so the audio quality may be a little scratchy in some areas. This episode is brought to you by Juve, an at-home red light therapy device. Red light therapy is a powerful, non-invasive treatment which delivers natural wavelengths of light to your skin and cells. Numerous studies have shown red light therapy can be an effective modality that we can use to help heal and improve our mental, cognitive, and physical health. It's one of the best things I recommend for optimal health and an integral part of my self-care routine. Head over to juve.com slash Dr. Leaf, that's J. O-O-V-V forward slash D-R-L-E-A-F. And if you use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout, you'll get a nice bonus gift with your purchase. So back to today's podcast. In the studio with me today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Mayfield, who's a licensed counselor. And in a moment, he's going to introduce himself. And he is also part of my medical advisory board and does research with me as well. So he's amazing, and I'm really thrilled to have him in the studio with me today to discuss these incredibly important topics. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to be on my podcast today. Well, my pleasure. It's, I've been looking forward to this. 
Oh, that's so great. You've got so much wisdom and I'm very excited to talk to you about these two very important topics. So Mark, just tell tell my listeners about a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I am, uh, as you said, a licensed professional counselor. Uh, I've been in the field for over 13 years, uh, was a, a youth and family minister before that, but had a lot of, of my students uh, struggle with um, you know substance use, with trauma, uh, with suicide and self-injury. And so felt like I needed to go back to school. And so I ended up going back and getting my master's in counseling and then went on to get my PhD and uh, doing research in the counseling field to try to make it a better place. And so right now I wear a couple different hats. I uh, I do uh, run Mayfield Counseling Centers here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we have about 30 counselors. We do I think this year we're going to do about 17,500 appointments. Uh, and then I also teach at Colorado Christian University in the counseling program, uh, really trying to train up the next generation of counselors uh, to do uh, good work. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you're doing a great job. Well, Mark, the first thing that I wanted to talk about today is EMDR therapy. And I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about that. So can we start by, can you just define what it is and how it works? Let's start with that. Absolutely. Uh, so EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Uh, so, you know, I'm glad we don't say that all the time because it's mm-hmm. a mouthful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> so EMDR basically is it's therapy that is designed to help process out uh, trauma. And, you know, I think just living in this world, we realize that we have big T trauma. Uh, so trauma like big, uh, you know, whether it be sexual assault or uh, it be, you know, combat trauma or a big car accident or those kinds of things, uh, or small T trauma, which is, you know, bullying, neglect, uh, you know, fear, anxiety that can cause those kinds of things. Uh, and EMDR uh, is, a, is a process by which we dive deep into uh, the memories of those traumas, the emotions that go with it, and and help process that out, almost like a digestive system where it becomes a part of our story but does not you know, run our lives like many uh, individuals that struggle with uh, combat trauma. It turns into PTSD, which becomes uh, a pretty difficult way to live. And, you know, as we've talked to you and I've talked mm. in the past, medical model keeps it in with the PTSD. We believe that just, just it's just a label and that EMDR helps people process out uh, that into more of their story so they're not operating uh, out of their uh, cortical limbic system. So what is the process, Mark? How does it work? What is the mm-hmm. actual process people go through? So, you know, when trauma happens, uh, the body actually uh, receives the information from that trauma uh, through the five senses, and it gets, uh, it gets stuck in the process at the site of reception. And so the best way I describe it is, Let's say somebody has just gotten back from uh, Iraq and they seem to be functioning just fine on the outside, but they're uh, walking down the street and a car backfires and they instinctually drop to the ground. Uh, they think it's a, a gunshot or whatever. Well, their body has has processed the traumatic information and stored it in ways to protect the body from future harm. And so without even thinking, uh, the body reacts to protect the individual. So think about that happening in you know, other traumas as well, a car accident, you know, you instinctively tense up if you go through an uh, intersection where you got hit last time. The body is doing those things to keep you hypervigilant and to protect you, but it's no way to live. And so what EMDR does is it comes in and it, it engages bilateral stimulation. So left brain, right brain, left brain, right brain, which brings forward the memory. So we have people focus on the memory and experiencing 
the entirety of it. So the emotions um, and and actual the, the remembrance of it. And we do bilateral stimulation, whether it be through pulsers in the hands where they close their eyes. We do a light bar where they can follow the light back and forth, or we can tap on their hands or their knees. And it just stimulates the the uh, hippocampus and it stimulates uh, the emotional center of the brain to bring those memories up. And then what it does is it actually sends it to the frontal cortex to process or digest. And those uh, it, it, what it does is it separates the emotional uh, hypervigilance from the memory and just allows it to be a memory and digest the emotions and the sensory uh, inputs out. So is it kind of neutralizing the um, emotional component, making it more manageable? It makes it more manageable, uh, but I, I mean, I've got stories after stories where it completely separates it. And so, you know, the person had come in and saying, I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, these nightmares and uh, we've done, you know, you know, maybe two or three sessions of EMDR and they can't even remember what their nightmares were about. Uh, and there's no more, there's no more emotional reactivity. Wow, that's quite amazing. How long does one go through this type of therapy? It depends. Um, and so, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm a, a stickler on is that the individual that's doing the therapy must be trained from an EMDRIA, so EMDR International Association approved trainer. And so uh, it's about 80 hours of, and we go in and we do probably about five or six sessions. And it varies depending on client, but five or six sessions of preliminary work. So we, we want to see where they are from a resilience standpoint before we dive in. Because if we dive in too soon and they're not prepared with uh, good coping strategies, we could cause more damage uh, than, than good. And so I've had, I've had clients that have come in and we've done uh, the, the preliminary sessions plus six or seven processing sessions. And then I've had some individuals with severe, severe trauma that we've spent 24 to 48 sessions you know, processing out the trauma. Wow. Okay, you mentioned about um, having someone who's licensed and the, and the licensed trainer has gone through about 80 hours of training. So it's quite a stringent process. It's not just anyone mm -hmm. anyone who can do it. Okay, how do you find a specialist like who's got that level of training, Mark, that, you know, that, well, that on that level? How would they do that? How would yeah, so, I mean, you can go to the EMDRIA website, uh, and they allow people to, you know, uh, they've been approved uh, through those trainings, and then they post their profiles and that kind of stuff on on the website so you can give them a call and knowing everybody on that website has been appropriately trained okay. uh, i think it's the best way to go very good okay who is this for who, who in general do you recommend emdr for it's interesting because the, the longer i've been doing it the more i see it benefiting uh anybody okay you know and so you know, individuals, I've worked with individuals that come in and, and go, I'm, I'm really okay, but my anxiety levels are at a, at a five or a six, and I don't know why my life is really good. So we dive into maybe a two or three sessions of EMDR to help find if there's a memory attached to something that was anxiety producing, and we help process that memory out. And now they have the coping skills to, to live a very productive life. You know, but in a lot of ways, it's, it's what you teach too. It's this mind management piece. But if I can free up some of that trauma where their body is really kicking in and reacting to outside stimuli, I can remove that and now be able to help them with uh, mind management tools that really will uh, catapult them into success. Wow. Okay. So what would you say are the main benefits then if someone's gone through however many sessions they need of EMDR? Well, I think the biggest thing is, uh, one, it does not 
have to be a process whereby they uh, painstakingly relive the trauma verbally. Uh, the nice thing about EMDR is that we will do uh, kind of what we call a history timeline where they, they, they put out kind of all their traumas. And then I have them you know, recall that trauma in my session, but they don't have to describe it to me. It's all kept inside their mind. And as we process out, I'll ask them, you know, what's coming up for you now? And they'll describe it. But it's a, it's a safe way to really, you know, to work through that trauma without having uh, or, or creating more traumas or more uh, stressors in session. And so I think the benefit is, you know, better sleep, uh, better health. I mean, you and I have talked mm-hmm. in the past about clients that I've done this with where they had neuropathy of the legs and they couldn't feel their legs. And we do EMDR and, you know, their legs come back. How are things, how are things connected, you know, um, to yeah. the mind? The mind-brain connection is just so, and body is so powerful. So in terms of just linking it back to the management of the emotional trauma and deprocessing and so on, if if a person is, a, a trauma is awakened, you said something very interesting, and I'm relating this back to the work that I do. They um, don't necessarily have to talk about it, but then you prompt them to talk as much as they want to, or don't they talk about it at all? Or is it kind of, do some people do talk about it or don't? How does that work? Yeah. So when I, when I do, so we do it in sets. And so each processing set is anywhere from 30 seconds to 90 seconds uh, with the pulsers of the light bar. And then I'll just say what's coming up for you. And they might give me a word or two and they might, some, uh, you know, some individuals might start talking and giving a whole story. It's basically up to the comfortability of, of the client, how much they want to share. Uh, but I don't ask any probing questions. I don't pro- provide any ideas or thoughts to to what they're going through. I want this to be completely them and their mind and their brain working it out uh, without any planted ideas or thoughts from the therapist. Yeah, I love that. A lot of the work that, as you know, you, know, you and I do a lot of stuff together and, and a lot of the main things uh, that I focus on are helping people to acknowledge because you can't do any healing mm-hmm. without acknowledging. And what I love about what you're saying is in the process that I've developed, um, as you're aware, is once you acknowledge, then you start the whole sort of processing it out. You know, so it's acknowledge, embrace, process, and reconceptualize. Mm-hmm. But it's as you ready and, you know, and I love the fact that you know, the probing questions that other people ask can sometimes be helpful, but they're not always that helpful, are they? They sometimes can lead people in a direction that maybe they, you don't want to lead them in. Um, so it's very, I love the fact that you are, if I link it back to my work, you, I'm trying to get people to work out themselves what is going on mm-hmm. through the acknowledgement. And it sounds to me like EMDR is doing the same thing. Have I understood that correctly? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we, we know scientifically that the body is never, you know, the sensory processing of the body never turns off. We're always mm. taking information. And even on an unconscious level, we're taking in this information. And a lot of times we don't realize just how much a traumatic experience, how much of that sensory information the body takes in. And so until we recognize it, till we give, you know, call it what it is. Yeah, there's not much you can do because you're, you know, in a lot of ways being controlled by uh, your physiology, which it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in control of it. Yeah, and it's very confusing for people when there's all these bodily symptoms and they, they get they our bodily symptoms are reflecting these emotional traumas and things. And if unless people understand that connection or understand how to recognize it, it can be very um, it can really tie people in. And I don't think people realize how much um, the the fact that we're made of seventy five to hundred trillion cells. And mm-hmm. every experience we have, whether it's positive or negative, are embedded into the brain. And in every single one of the 75 to 100 trillion cells. So, and that embedding process took time. So it's going to take time to 
get to basically deal with that stuff, you know, and to try well, and get that quick fix mentality, which um, people have got a lot of in this day and age. If I'm hearing you correctly, one of the things I teach is this is going to take time. This is a lifestyle. Yes. You're going to, you're not necessarily going to just eliminate everything. It's more learning to manage. Um, would you, in terms of EMDR, is it the same sort of philosophy? It is. I mean, there are some pretty big aha moments. I mean, I love being a part of that when we start processing one memory and it actually, it's like a spider web. Where it, it you know it helps process out many you know smaller memories, mm. um, and I I remember sharing this I think I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago that um, I had a client once that was you know three or four tours in Iraq major trauma not functioning at all and we started doing therapy and the first time we did EMDR therapy he threw up all over my couch. Wow, yeah, I remember you telling me this. You know, and it's like, it's just a, per, that's a perfect visual, and not to gross anybody out, but that's a perfect visual of how the body is releasing, you know, the, the stored trauma. And so pretty much it became our routine that every time he did EMDR with me, I just put a trash can by the couch because he knew that his body was releasing. And it was almost a, a pretty cool indicator for him when that stopped happening, that he had let go and, and worked through all of his trauma. Brilliant, because as I used to tell my patients and tell people all the time, if you're not talking about this, if you're not getting it out in some way, you know, mm -hmm. the way that works for you, some people, as you and I both know, will very openly sit there and talk to people. Others will need a lot of prompting. Others, this EMDR process that you're describing where people can do it at their own pace and say as much as they want to without being prompted by someone else's thoughts, um, mm -hmm. is it's it's basically helping people to um, get it out instead of keeping it in. Because if you don't get it out, it's going into your body so if you don't deal yeah. with it in some way so that that visual of the guy vomiting is brilliant Sometimes when I'm in the studio all day recording podcasts or on the go traveling to conferences, I find I need something to help boost my energy and help me focus. That's why I love Four Sigmatic Coffee and Blends. Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit our immunity, energy, and longevity and help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. The coffee is made with 100% organic Arabica beans and does not taste like mushrooms. Get 15% off your Four Sigmatic purchase today when you go to foursigmatic.com slash Dr. Leaf or use the discount code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That is D-R-L-E-A-F. This episode is brought to you by Vistro. Vistro is the number one plant-based meal delivery service in America. My favorite Vistro meals are the pasta bolognese and veggie pesto pizza. Vistro offers free shipping on all orders. And right now, you can try the six most popular Vistro meals for just $49. Visit tryvistro.com dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. You can only get that $49 deal at tryvistro.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Um, would you say it's kind of the same effect as meditation or microdosing where it kind of helps one let go of, of sort of your ego and tap into your deeper self? deeper issues, that kind of thing. No, meditation or mindfulness meditation is only like a first step. It only gets people to that state of awareness, but that digging deeper and finding out causes and roots. And how would you, would you, does it, does EMDR prompt that deep analytical type thinking? 
It, it does, yeah, it does when we process it. I think though that the beauty of EMDR is it takes it takes you farther than you thought you needed to go from an unconscious body remembering level, which I think is really powerful. Mm, that's true because we don't realize how much our body's stored, and it's a process. So if someone's gone through the let's say 10 sessions or whatever it may be, do, uh, would you say that they are completely healed or that they've basically learned management skills and that it brings up more things? Which sure. Is, or both? I think it's a, I can't, I can't speak to that definitively because I think every client, every, every, every patient, every client is going to be different. I think it frees up, uh, it frees enough stuff up to create a place for them to be able then to utilize management skills. And then I've also had seen people completely healed. So it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. And I've also seen people that it's not worked out on at all. I wanted to ask uh, you that, I, yeah. Yeah, and I think the part of the reason that it's not worked out at all is because they've not made their mind up. They, 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 they come in kind of, you know, kicking and screaming and they don't want to do it. Well, you know, I mean, you and I both know just how powerful our mind is. Mm. And so if they've made their mind up that this is not going to work or they don't want to do it, well, it's not going to it's work. It's not going to work for them. No, that's true. It's got to, you, your mind, you have to make the choice to actually want to get into this to make it work for you. I love the way you say that it frees you up to start the process of doing the mind work, which so many of us have got so good at suppressing in this day and age. Mm. And from what I'm mm -hmm. hearing you say about EMDR, this is a way of helping people to recognize, use the body signals to recognize the need to work on those emotional signals, which is fantastic. Now, there's so a million more questions I want to ask you about mm -hmm. EMDR, but I do, and we'll definitely do more podcasts on this, but I, do, I want to launch over into a book that I know you're releasing very soon, and I know it's called Self-Injury and Suicide, A Parent's Guide. And I just think this is outstanding, a topic that is so, so necessary in this day and age. I want you to just tell us a little bit about the book and tell us, because I know you work a lot with this, you know, tell us why, you know, talk about suicide, talk about why you've written this book. You know, so we know suicide's on the rise, um, you know, amongst teens and children. And, and I'd also love to dive in a little bit to the signals that parents should be aware of and how parents can have conversations with their children if they suspect that and how they can help their children. So yeah. um, that's a lot. So let's start with, you know, why you <laughs> wrote the book and dive in from there. Well, well the nice thing, and I'll, I'll definitely let you know when it's out, it's going to be a free download. Uh, so anybody wow. that's listening right now, once it comes out, it'll just it'll be a download through a link. Uh, it's tied with a couple different other curriculums that work really well called Alive to Thrive. But it, uh, the part of the reason I wrote this book is one is I'm I am a suicide survivor myself. I attempted to take my life when I was 12, uh, wow. just through a lot of of uh, my own traumas, uh, you know, being bullied, uh, and some of my anxieties and depressions that I didn't know how to to manage. And and as I got into the field, uh, I worked with really difficult teenage populations, you know, in the juvenile justice system. I worked with gangs, and uh, that I started working with just kind of the neglected and the overlooked uh, teenage populations, and just seeing this become a uh, a topic that begin, you know, is is kind of confused and confounded our population of how do we support, how do we help, what do we do? And so I decided, okay, let's let's make this happen. So it's a really short. 120-page how-to guide step-by-step on different levels. You know, if you find out your kid is self-injuring, what do I do? If I find out my kid is uh, has suicidal ideation, what do I do? And if I you know find out that my kid attempted, you know, what are these practical next steps that need to happen? Um, so it's 
I'm, I've been honored to write it, and it's it's a topic that I, I'm really passionate about. Oh, Mark, it sounds incredible. All right, I know my listeners are waiting for some tips. Can you please just relate to those three things exactly what you've just described? Could you? I know it's a lot to ask mm-hmm. in a short period of time, but could you give us some really essential, succinct tips on those three particular areas you just referenced? Yeah, I mean, self-injury is is kind of an interesting topic because it comes in different forms. And I talk about this in the book where there's really overt self-injury, like cutting, burning, punching. But there's also uh, kind of the, the uh, subversive self-injury too, where it's unprotected sex. It's, uh, you know, using drugs intravenously. It's uh, high-risk behaviors type of thing. So, it, you know, it, it, I can understand why parents get kind of freaked out about this topic because it's it could be a broad uh, mm. scope. My, what I tell parents is that, and this is what I tell parents from any, any level, that if your kid, any type of behavior that your kid is doing, whether good or bad, it's it's to get attention to be noticed. And and so if I have, you know, well, my kid is doing this for attention. Yes, they are. So how are we going to notice what's what's mm. the need being communicated through the fact that they're self-injuring. And a lot of times it's, it's uh, you know, like, again, goes you know, nicely back to what we've been talking about. It goes mm-hmm. back to the fact that they don't understand their emotions or their emotions are so big and so uh, painful, you know, confusing that they just don't know what to do with them and they don't know how to express them. And maybe they're in a family that has never learned those kinds of things. And so they've stuffed, stuffed, stuffed to the point where it's uh, overwhelming and self-injury becomes that pressure valve. Mm, uh, wow. And, and it's actually scientifically we see that it actually hits the dopamine receptors similarly mm. to that of of addiction or sex. So it's almost a way of transferring that transfer pain from one uh, the internal pain to the external pain, and mm-hmm. then it causes this whole reaction in the brain, and it's like a weird high that they get from. And it's temporary because it drops from the high to the low, and then it can really drop very low. And and you, it's so important that one addresses it. So if you if if a parent is noticing these behaviors, can you give some advice on what would be? Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest thing is is parents are going to freak out. And I always tell parents, you know, try, you freak out with a, a partner, a spouse, a friend outside of the room of your kid. Try not to. Freak freak out in front of them because if they see you freaking out, they're not going to come back and talk mm. to you. Uh, and so having them uh, you know, manage their own emotions when it when it comes in. But uh, a lot of times parents make a big deal about the self-injury and if, you know, most self-injury. So this is kind of a weird statistic, but most self-injury doesn't lead to suicide. However, those that self-injure have a, a, a higher potential of th- you know thinking about suicide along the the journey, if that makes any sense. And so I tell parents, you know, begin be inquisitive. Okay, mm. so if your scars could talk, what would they say? Mm. Put put narrative to that, right? Get them a, give them a chance to begin to process out loud without judgment or without uh, con- you know condescending responses and remarks. So as parents, you know, but then I always tell parents too, you know, the next piece is to get them into a, a, a therapist that is uh, is able to help develop those mind management tools, help develop a, a family system maybe that needs uh, to be more supportive uh, and those kinds of things, because parents can't do this alone or shouldn't mm-hmm. do this alone. It's too big. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very, it's exhausting. And it's mentally, and physically, emotionally draining for the parents. So it's so important to get that support system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to be able to encourage people to be free, to comfortable enough to not um, to talk about this, because a lot of parents will hide this. You know, Mark, right. I know this is something that you and I've discussed before about that huge meta-analysis that was done with teens that were in suicidal ideation, self-harming, all these topics. Um, and then just in general with teens, and they asked, what is the main thing that you 
want from your parents. And it goes to what you just said. They want to be listened to. That was the main thing that they wanted. We just want our parents to listen. And so, you know, how do you listen to a teen? What should a parent not say or do? You know, what should they do and what should they not do when it gets to listening to your teen to help them process these things? Yeah, I always tell, I always tell parents that you, when you get to teenage years, you, you know, it's interesting because most parents think that they can still control their kids as they're becoming adults. And I tell parents, I said, you do the hard work when they're younger, you know, you should be in relationship with them when they get older. And so the, the middle school, high school years should be a, a time of, of, uh, allowing them to, to develop their identity and grow, but also to be in relationship with them. And so I always tell parents, I say, you know, the best way to protect your kid from self-injury and suicidal ideation is to really know your kid. And so we talk through what that looks like. And they're like, well, I know my kid. Well, I'm like, how busy are you? How many nights a week are you out? How many, you know, extracurricular activities are you doing? How often do you just spend time, uninterrupted time, just allowing your kid to be with you and talk? How often do you look into their eyes? Because the eyes, I really believe, are the window to the soul, as that old adage goes, and really speak to how your kid is doing. And if you don't pay attention to those kind of things, especially in a, a technological age, uh, you're going to miss out on, on possible hurts and needs that aren't being communicated verbally. That's so good, Mark. What about this, the, the teenager who's suicidal? We've spoken about self-harm, and mm-hmm. we've mentioned suicide. Can you just talk a little bit about you know, recognizing yeah. those signs and, and the management of if, if there's been an attempt um, in the mm-hmm. family. So, I mean, suicide, I, I, you know, the, there's, a, there's a couple different levels. And so I love, I really like to use the uh, Columbia uh, Suicide Severity Rating Scale. And it's an it's a evidence-based scale that just helps parents walk through asking the right questions. Um, but, you know, if a kid is suicidal, it doesn't mean that they're going to kill themselves. And that's, I know it's a hard kind of distinction. But, you know, I, I would say 90% of the population at one time or another has thought about what it would be like if we weren't here. Mm. That's that's a suicidal Very good thought. Statistic. Just say that again, Mark. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but people need to hear what you've just said. Yeah. So 90%, uh, I would say, I mean, that's a pretty mm. rough statistic, but 90% of the population, I would say, has, has wondered at one point in their life, what would it be like if I wasn't here? And I think that's a you know, that's a that's a suicidal uh, thought, but it's not a suicidal ideation with plan and intent. If our kid is struggling and the only way they can express themselves is "I wish I wasn't here," mm-hmm. that should raise a red flag. But instead of freaking out, taking to the hospital, which could be traumatic mm-hmm. in and of itself, and begin to ask, start beginning to ask questions. Okay, so it sounds like you're really struggling by that comment. Tell me what's going on. Why are you struggling to the point where you feel like you don't want to be here anymore? And so parents really need to control their responses in that as well. But then I always ask the question: So if you were to kill yourself, how would you do it? Well, I've never thought about that before. Okay, the red flag is up. We're paying attention. We need, maybe need to go get um, some support through, you know, some good good therapy, uh, or find a, a mentor or a, a clergy or somebody that they can go talk to. But they're not actively suicidal. But if they answer that question, you know, how would you do it if you were to do it, and they were to give you an answer, that's the next step. Now they've got a plan. And again, it's not totally caused to go run to the hospital. But then you can say, you know, if they have their plan and they say, well, I was I was going to do a drug overdose, or I was going to take a bottle of Tylenol or to hang myself or whatever that might be like or use a firearm. Now it's cause for, okay, we need to go to the emergency room or we need to go to, you know, a, a crisis, call the crisis line or we need to call a, a therapist to get in, you know, today or tomorrow and, you know, you're not leaving my site. You're going to sleep in our room. You're going to, you know, be close to me until we get you some support. That's excellent. What about if a child's abusing substances? The parents start, yeah, what do they do? I mean, that, 
that's a that's a red flag. I mean, it's a it's a bigger red flag because if they're already abusing substances uh, and, and they're pushing the the envelope, uh, that's what I call passive suicide. Mm-hmm. And now we've got attempt, you know, an ideation and a and a plan, uh, getting them again. I use hospital, and I, I hospital is a good place, but it's a it's a last resort for me. That if there's nothing else that the parent can do except get make sure that their kid is safe, they'll need to go put them on what we call a, an M1 hold. Uh, which is a hold that the, the police or the paramedics can do, but it's typically better if a therapist does it because then they actually jump into therapy right away uh, versus just the, the medical piece. And, and the hard part, I put this in the book, is that you know you, when you go to the hospital, the, the uh, they're going to want to put your kid on medication and mm. you know equip parents with and um, you know those types of things because you know we know psychotropic medications yeah. uh, are not the way to go. And they also increase suicidal ideation and potential yep. carrying yep. it through. So it's, it's Mark. And what about parents? You know, parents going through this, seeing their children maybe who have a child has attempted suicide, or their child's thinking about it. All these things you've just been saying, the substance abuse, all these things. What are some tips for parents who you know who are facing this issue for their own mental health, so that they can mm-hmm. stay strong for their children? Well, first of all, I would say is that it's not a reflection on your parenting skills. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I, on the on the on the flip side, I work with a lot of families that have lost kids to suicide, and so a lot of the regrets that I hear in session is, "I wish I would have asked for help sooner. I wish I wouldn't have been so prideful. I wish I would have." You know, obviously those are painful questions and painful things to go through. But really, telling parents, you know, your emotional intelligence, your uh, ability to keep a plate, you know, keep the energy of the house in, in a in a positive light uh, you know through how they think and feel uh, is really important and so if that means going to get some support through uh, a friend or a clergy or a counselor it's it, it it needs to happen so that you can maintain that safe place for your kids because uh, i think a lot of parents don't realize and well, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. That most of our community doesn't realize just how much energy we put out in negative or positive. And if we're not aware of that and we have a kid that is struggling and we put out a lot of negative energy, it's going to create and compound the problems. What if I told you you could double the power of whatever you drink to wake up and energize your brain? My friends over at BioOptimizers have created a special recipe for you that helps boost brain performance in the morning. They have a product called Primogen V and then Primogen M. You'll be buzzing without jitters or any negative side effects. And they're running a special promotion for you at www.biooptimizers.com forward slash leaf brain. You can get an additional 20% off from the normal package price with the coupon code DRLEAF20. This episode is sponsored by Comrade Socks, the number one compression socks on the market. And my personal favorites, Comrade Socks works great for preventing swelling, for more comfortable travel, which is so important for me since I travel so much. Wearing compression socks during any length of flight helps keep your blood circulating. Not only will this help you combat jet lag and fatigue, but studies show that this reduces serious health risks such as blood clots. Comrade socks are also great for helping speed up muscle recovery after workouts and so much more. I love wearing my socks while traveling, walking with my children, 
while sitting at my desk doing research and podcasting. In fact, whenever I can. And right now, my listeners can get 20% off with the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. Just go to www.comradesocks.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. Well, Mark, is there any, there's just so many incredibly important points that you've raised, but I want to end off with this question. And, and when I say end off, as I've already said, we need to do more podcasts on this very important topic, but can you give us some tips on how to build resilience in teams? Mm, yes. Uh, so I, I do a talk um, where I, I, I really get parents listening uh, around technology and uh, screen time. And I tell parents that when we give our kids a cell phone without putting boundaries around it and helping them uh, work through the responsibility of it. It's like giving them a loaded handgun and telling them to be careful. Uh, and so I think resiliency really comes in and helping them become responsible. And uh, somebody asked me the other day, when am I going to give my daughter a cell phone? I said, well, when she's responsible for it. And that could be, you know, that might be 11 years old for some kids. It might be, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old for some kids. But, uh, you know, helping parents understand that the impact that screens have on kids and, and, and the brain and the mind. Um, but also allowing them, I always tell parents, the best thing you can do for your kids is allow them to fail in your home in a way that, that allows them to work through it. Uh, resiliency only happens when we work through tough stuff. Mm. It never it doesn't happen when we you know, are rescued or it's, you know, re, you know the, the difficulty is removed. So I tell parents, you know, let, let them fail. And, you know, natural consequences, I really believe, are the best ways. Mm. Uh, you didn't study for that test. You're going to fail the test. And I'm going to ask you five or six times if I can help you study. But if you choose not to use my help and you fail the test, that's a natural consequence. Mm. But then I also tell parents, let your kids be bored. They don't need to be on a device all the time. They don't need to have the TV on. They don't, you know, I remember as a kid growing up in the, in the eighties, just going, let's go outside and build a fort. Let's be mm. creative. Let's be imaginative, you know, and how that stimulates the mind uh, is really, really big. Um, and then I also talk to parents about, you know, how their kids are sleeping, you know, are the phones put away if they have phones, are they put away? So they're not distracted by them. And then I also uh, do a lot of work around how, uh, how are they eating? You know, what, what are they eating? How are they eating? When are they eating? Um, because I think all that plays into that resiliency and grit. So good, Mark. Okay, so Mark, just to wrap up this podcast, you've given so much incredible wisdom, but I would like to ask you a personal question, if you're comfortable with this. What kept you from suicide? I know you said you were 12 and you were young, but what kept you from carrying it through? Well, I mean, besides Providence, uh, you know, I, 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 and I don't like to talk about too much how I tried, but I, I tried through taking some pills. Uh, and I was in a lot of, uh, you know, as they were trying to figure out what was going on with me uh, through some of my own physiological uh, struggles, I, the medication that I was taking reacted to what I took. And so I, you know, I ended up being rushed to the hospital uh, in the middle of the night because I felt like I was getting stabbed in the wow. stomach and they you know, pump my stomach and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think from that point on, what really helped was, was being seen. Uh, I've got great parents and they miss some things. And so going into a, a finding a good therapist where my, my dad was challenged uh, to see me in the way that I needed to be seen. I was a very sensitive kid, you know, and uh, emotions were really big to me and I didn't have a way to, to, to express them or describe them. And so through good family therapy, uh, I was able to uh, be able to, to be vocal about my struggle and where I was, you know, my, the bullying and, and the things that were happening. And so I really believe that just being seen, truly seen for who I was, uh, really helped provide identity and purpose for me. 
Wow, that's amazing. So there was a major build-up in your life, a climatic event, very serious. And then, as you say, Providence landed up in hospital. And then that then launched your family to channel that energy into actually helping you process and deal as a family. You you, you stressed family therapy. So that was really, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Mark, you've been amazing. This is very, very, very informative. And I'm very thrilled that you were so authentic and vulnerable and gave so many excellent tips. We certainly well, um, as soon as that book is available, we will let our listeners know because I know that they're going to be very, pe- people are going to be asking for that book. And also we'll put all your details up on our, on the, de- the show notes so people can get hold of you. If, if people are in Colorado, you, know, you have a big practice, you have almost 30 counselors working for you. Um, so we know that they can get really good help there. So Mark, thank you for so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate all the great work that you're doing. It's really great. And I'm thrilled you're part of my advisory board. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing and, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leith. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.